0: Hello, all you beautiful people. This is optimistically depressed and I am your host Ruth McMullen. Thanks for joining me. I always appreciate that when you actually spend the time to listen in. Um, and if you feel like you know someone who could uh, who could benefit from this podcast, it would be awesome if you could spread the word. So I'm also very thrilled to say that this podcast is brought to you by tranquility.app. So that's Tranquility.app, you can go online, you can also get the app. It's great, it's a tool for learning cognitive behavioral therapy uh, therapy, and it's great for anxiety, it's to help you manage anxiety. And the funny thing was that I actually didn't realize how much anxiety actually dictated how I lived until I started doing this and I was learning what anxiety is and like the physical effects that, that it can have on you and i realized that it was actually a huge part of my life so it was just really helpful to understand that a lot of the ways i was feeling were ways that like were things that i could actually fix and um that i didn't have to continue to live that way so check out you got to check out tranquility there's an option to have a coach like you go through weekly sessions there's an option to to get a coach so you can speak with them usually about once a week and um, they help you kind of talk through what uh, your realizations really the things that you've learned and kind of figure out how to really properly apply what you've learned to your life so it's been huge for me and I really believe in it um, like yeah I just really believe that it's a beneficial thing that really anyone and everyone should do because I mean having these tools is like it's something that's good for your life so we're brought to you by Tranquility um, so things have been going pretty well here. Um, if you hear kids running around or talking, that's because I have kids running around and talking. So sorry about that. Uh, I've been having some issues with my lungs. I like said before like I got bronchitis, but it was something like the lung kind of thing has been going on for about five or six months. So it was before the coronavirus, uh, coronavirus became a thing. But I'm um, I'm in the process of kind of figuring out what's going on. My doctor, who is amazing, Dr. Morash, she's the best. Um, she put me on some medication that should help kind of um, kind of clear out my lungs a bit. Cause she was she had a listen to them yesterday, and I, I guess they're they're in pretty rough shape. <laughs> I've been I've been having like it's been affecting my life. Like I can't. Um, I can't like kind of move quickly around without like getting pretty out of breath and like getting dizzy and Exercising has been a real challenge and I've had to kind of cut it out recently just because it's just been it's just been really difficult Um, And it's because I can't get enough breath so uh, So then of course that affects other parts of my life because then I'm like, you know feeling like I don't get those endorphins and also I'm like I'm feeling like I'm not as fit which then kind of Feeds into this, it's this loop, right? So I've been getting into that a little bit. And so now I'm kind of looking for other ways that I can temporarily keep things at bay while I'm working on fixing up the stuff that's going on with my lungs. And uh, it's been a little bit of a challenge, but one thing that I've definitely found to be helpful um, I've done it once, I've just done it once so far, I'm doing it again tonight, is the ice water dip. Um, it was like or aka the polar dip the Mayo bros if you go what what are they Mayo bros calisthenics I might be saying that wrong I'm not looking at their account right now but they're the these brothers I think brothers they're these awesome guys that have really great techniques to help keep you fit and healthy and they actually reached out to me and told me about the benefits of doing these ice water dips Mentally and it was something I've read about before so I Gave it a try a couple nights ago, and it was amazing like it did have like this lasting effect like it really does like it just made me feel a lot better more on fire and Just happier, so I'm gonna go and do that again tonight I think I'm gonna make that kind of build that into my regular routine and uh, and it's definitely a nice thing, a nice tool to have when some of the other tools that I usually use are not ones that I can use at this point. So I got to do a podcast with Christy Ann Conlin. She is an author. Uh, she's written a few books and she's an artist. She's amazing. She's amazing. I loved the conversation that I got to have with her. She's one of the most understanding people and she's great at being vulnerable in such a... I'm trying to think of like exactly the way to describe it. It's like this strong vulnerability. So it's just kind of like, yeah, like so these are some of the things that um, I've kind of gone through and this is like the way that I've kind of felt and still kind of can feel sometimes and this is how I how I handle that. and. Um, and you know, through my writing, like this is kind of how I use this and anyway, she's just, I, I loved this conversation with her. It was a very healing experience. I really liked being able to sit down and listen to her advice and her wisdom because she has, she has so much of it and she's such a good writer. You've got to check out her books. Um, and at the end of this uh, podcast that we do together, she and I talk about doing a bit of a collaboration. She's going to do a giveaway which will involve uh, one of her books and also a bar of soap that is made by, oh, I don't have it with me, Some is local, she's this incredible person who makes, I mean she gave me a bar and I got to use it and it's it smells really nice, like it smells like the sea, it's just beautiful. And uh, and then she was saying that she might kind of grab a couple other things to put in it. And I'm going to put a couple things into it. And we'll have this uh, this giveaway again, which is really exciting. And um, so keep your eyes open for that. And uh, yeah, you're going to love this podcast. I know you will. She's such, a, she's such a wise woman. I love the way that she looks at life. And it's definitely something that I want to form myself after. I, that's her mentality is something that... I definitely want to have so enjoy this podcast and again if I if you can rate and review the podcast that helps me that helps me a lot and if you can spread the word to your friends that also helps me like a lot and uh, yeah so sit back relax I'll be talking to you soon initially started everything like me thinking more about having conversations about mental health were when I was diagnosed with postpartum depression and then later learned it was actually like I had had depression for most of my life and it's not something that I could recognize until after the fact and when I started to understand what it feels like Mm -hmm. because one of the things that I have noticed especially as I've had more and more conversations with people is that Different mental health issues, like they feel different to different people, mm-hmm. and so I found it like what allowed me to identify what was going on, and then and then try to figure out and work, uh, try to figure out how to properly work with it, was when I heard other people talk about what it felt like for them. Mm-hmm. So, um, <clears throat> and so, when I first was diagnosed with the with depression. I tried talking with other people about it, and I noticed that most people would just really clam up,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and and it wasn't until years later that I learned that it was because like they were also struggling with the mm-hmm. same thing. They just weren't ready to talk about it,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so it kind of really started to make me think, well, like, we need to have these opportunities to be able to talk about it, and one of the cool things about a podcast is that it can help you quietly take part in the conversation at the beginning. And then, and then you can later decide if you want to start being more vocal about it. But it's nice when you just have a resource, uh, that allows you to just Mm -hmm. learn and listen for a while to help you feel like to help you just know that you're not alone and to join someone else in the journey. And Mm -hmm. yeah, so that's mostly it. Um, I had a huge, like a huge moment happen in my life where I basically just met somebody who was a bit, um, like more of an influencer and they kind of let Sean and I into their lives. And so, yeah, they would have like quite a a large influence on a lot of people. And you'd think that that would allow, that would make them more guarded, Mm -hmm. but it was the opposite. Like they were just so open to us and like really let us in and, and talked very openly about what was going on with them and how Mm -hmm. they kind of process different things. And I thought like, this is so cool. This is so inspiring. So then it made me want to try, to do that myself. Right. And then, yeah, and then that's pretty much where it came from. What made you want to write?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I, um, I don't know. I never liked writing as a kid. Really? Um, I really struggled. Yeah. And I had undiagnosed learning disabilities. And, um, so school was very difficult for me and writing was very difficult. Reading wasn't. Um, okay uh, and so I tended to avoid writing uh, for a long long time and I studied theater and became really fascinated by plays this is sort of like a you know an aside of when I was studying theater and I was interested in performance and different aspects but it was in theater history where you you have to study the plays of the time right that Mm -hmm. and in to understand, right, German Expressionism, you need to understand what was happening in Germany at that time and read the plays. And so it's a fascinating way into the history of the world when you start way back, right, in ancient Greece or even, uh, you know, really early primitive time with ritual and acting out in shadows, right? If you think in the cave. And so, anyway, so I found it fascinating then to move into actual uh, reading plays in translation or, you know, Shakespeare. And I really became interested in dialogue and how the story was told through dialogue. And when you read a play, you start to hear it in your head. And then when a director works with it, they put the play on its legs with a concept and then actors who are then speaking the words that started with the playwright and I think I had never thought about writing like that I'd seen lots of plays I'd been in plays which clearly influenced me but when I started studying them and reading then I became very interested in the written form of, of scripts and so I was living in Germany and I was visiting a friend from Canada who was living in Zurich. And I had gone to Switzerland, and she asked me a question. I was telling her this big, long-winded story. <laughs> I'm telling you now. This is perfect. And she <clears> said, "Well, why don't you why don't you write that down, <laughs> send it to me?" And she had a master's in English, and I was like. Oh, okay. So I went back to Germany and I started typing up my life story. And I think by page three, I was like, <laughs> Oh so boring, right? Like, and so I started fictionalizing it. And that is how I started writing. And once I started fictionalizing it and working with dialogue, I it opened up a new way into writing for me that I hadn't experienced with trying to write. Essays and papers and a very structured, formalized, prescribed style of writing, which I had done in high school and university. And I always picked presentations when I could do it. And then I was diagnosed with an executive function deficit, which one of the hallmarks of that are difficulties with writing, with math and with printing. And I used to get, you know, I'd have to stay in at recess because I was a girl and I couldn't print. And... I would, you know, I I did death grip right where you go right through the desk with a pencil, and um, yeah, Mm -hmm. and then um, I have a kid who also, but I mean, much earlier, right? As a was diagnosed with that, and it made a radical difference as opposed to my experience in school, which was you're slow, you're lazy, you're not focused, you're not trying, you're a troublemaker and acting out, and and. Um, not fitting into a normal box in the public school system in rural Nova Scotia, so um, which was very difficult. So I just thought I was an idiot, and uh, that for some reason I couldn't write. So that was sort of how I broke through that, and I came into writing through a back door. And then I went from stage playwriting to screenplay writing and writing poetry. And then I did an MFA at the University of British Columbia after a whole lot of life in between all of that and uh, did a master of fine arts and creative writing with my thesis was a feature-length screenplay but I was fascinated by the fiction writers the short story writers and the novelists and I've always loved reading and um, you know I'm sort of like a self-taught through the disabilities it's sort of a miracle I figured out how to read right so I think that was a resilience uh, that children often have an innate ability when what you're being told is the key doesn't work to trying and finding a different key maybe no one knew about so um so I could read and then I started writing short stories And I wrote a short story that won a prize, and then it became the prologue in my first novel, which is called Heave. And so I've just kept at it. That novel was published in 2002. So, yeah. So that is how I became a writer. So I was like the reluctant novelist or the accidental novelist. (laughs) But I felt this is almost like an affliction at times um, when I've tried to stop writing. I inevitably find myself drawn back to it.
0: So (laughs) that is inspiring. Um, One of the things that you said that actually connects with me personally is how you felt like an idiot. Mm -hmm. I I did too because I was not – I didn't have – I had selective reading or reading. Selective listening is what they called it. I was zoned out all the time. I was in my own world. It was kind of a defense mechanism to what was going on at home at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I had basically built a world in my head so that that I could survive. Mm -hmm. And people taught, people took that as me just not really being that smart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's like something that, like, I still carry with me right now. I am working through it, like, but it is like, Uh, like, I will struggle a lot with, like, just not feeling smart, like, Mm -hmm. and, and it has, uh, I didn't realize it at the time, but it has definitely held me back, Mm -hmm. because when I'm, when I approached difficult situations, or something that I would think, like, oh, that would be really cool to do, but I would be, I would kind of think, yeah, but I can't do it, because I'm not smart enough, Mm -hmm. so... I don't, um, I, I don't think I've had a lot of conversations with people that had a s- similar kind of uh, experience, actually, where they, mm-hmm. or at least not, not that they've talked to me about where they said that they just felt like an idiot. Is that something that you carried with you?
1: Oh, totally. I think this you know, underlying sense that the problem, my problem was idiocy. Right? Yeah. Um, and interpreting that way from a young child, it when things didn't work out, it was sort of a, I would come back to the place that the reason it wasn't working out is because I was a moron, right? An idiot. Um, um, and dumb. Yeah. Um, and that was the problem. So all these things I wanted to do, I wouldn't be able to do and if they didn't work out it was just evidence of my lack of intelligence or I think my lack of ability to now I mean demonstrate what I can do and what I could do um, in a very traditional approach so yeah it it shaped everything and I made a lot of like my dream was not to be a writer my dream was to be a dermatologist (laughs) seriously (laughs) but I thought I was too stupid to be a doctor, right? Like I, I, it was never something that would be open and available for me. And, you know, I grew up in rural Nova Scotia and we had some difficult years, right. As a, as a family and my dad really struggled with mental illness. And, um, I, I, it was a very insular sort of existence that I had. And I, I, it was very much a working class background, and I think I didn't feel like there were many options, especially as a as a young woman in rural Nova Scotia. It was still very traditional, and someone from my class, you know, I would never be able to be a doctor, it because I wasn't a male, and because it wasn't something that someone like me should do. Mm-hmm. So I felt very limited by by all of those things, even though inside I wanted so much more Mm -hmm. and the real me inside that I think I protected and at times punished you know which had bigger dreams and wanted to see the world and I at times felt like angry that I wanted these things that I felt like I had been raised to feel were not possible and part of that was to protect me Mm -hmm. I think because Life can be hard and the world can be full of Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's full of all kinds of people. And uh, like you That's call your yourself... kind way of
0: putting it. <laughs> yeah. It's full of all kinds of... of people.
1: Yeah. And um, and then again, when I think you, th- th- when something doesn't work out, the first thing you do is blame yourself. Right. And then feel stupid for even trying as opposed to realizing that maybe that person actually didn't want you to succeed for whatever reason and um it wasn't you right it was them and that's okay mm-hmm. but it, you know you can try something different or you know I so I was very inhibited by this sense of being a failure and not being smart enough not being enough from Mm. such a young age so I wasn't good enough as I was and I wasn't enough and I felt like that by the time I was nine years old right so I too struggled um I began to see later with depression from an anxiety from a very young age so
0: and when when did you learn like when did you start to realize that it was depression and anxiety was that was what you were dealing with (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, well being you know uh, a generation x um and i think back to the 90s where there still wasn't discussion about these sorts of things and especially yeah. for a woman if you spoke up against there was such instant um slap down And uh, it was, I feel like in some ways it was the age of the sensitive new age guy, right? So this sensitive new age guy who's a feminist and then, uh, you know, expects you to do his laundry and wipe the water off the floor after the shower and, you know, like clean the toilet and do all these things that have been done uh, for him by his mom right Right. and um and so I think that was a time where there never would have been a me too movement because so much of male privilege and um male sort of just opportunity right born into that because of your your gender that you're you know born into is um automatically gave you these privileges and it really wasn't questioned and to question that And I look back and I, you know, had a lot more compassion for my mom coming of age in a different time where there was like, I used to say, why, why didn't you keep your married, your, your maiden name? And she would say, people would have thought I was out of my mind if I had done that, right? It wasn't a choice. You Mm -hmm. couldn't choose to do that for your own reasons. You took your husband's name, uh, or people would have sent you to the NS, right? And I'm like, (laughs) I was probably 15 when I asked her that anyway so in the 90s I think so again it was a tendency if I felt bad to think I was doing something wrong that made me feel bad and um so I I really struggled thinking that I was depressed because I was an idiot (laughs) like I kept making these bad choices yeah so um I mean I knew I had depressive episodes And I suffered from depression, but I don't think I really fully came to terms with that until about two years ago where I was actually formally diagnosed with major depressive disorder and an anxiety disorder. And um, even though I knew I had depressive episodes and I knew I had a lot of trouble with anxiety, but again, back in the 90s, if you were anxious, you were neurotic, you were insecure. Right? Right. You didn't have any confidence, right? You're high maintenance. Um, And those were the sorts of labels. And I think they're very effective at disabling competent, intelligent people emotionally. So you, you know, you become ineffective and you don't question things because you're so easily thrown, right? If something bothers you and is upsetting and you're saying, stop being so neurotic, right? And that was, I think, often girls, too, become trained to turn on each other. Yeah. Yeah. Does that that make sense? So
0: I guess it's
1: something I struggled with on and off and Mm -hmm. at times tried to deal with, but Mm -hmm. always there was this underlying sense that there was something wrong with me and that was causing all of these problems versus uh, my understanding now, which is, I mean, I believe in nurture and nature, right? I think I have a particular sort of nervous system, but I had enough things happen to me and enough early childhood trauma that it really kept me in this state of fight or flight, right? Yeah, <laughs> yes. So the sympathetic nervous system constantly engaged, dangers everywhere. I look in the mirror and there's the biggest danger of all, me, right? Yeah. Oh, and yeah. yeah. So um, I think it was a couple of years ago when I had a major depressive episode okay. and I didn't actually realize I was depressed. Mm -hmm. and that was when I fully understood how much this has shaped my life and for the first time after I got through that and I had really understood about anxiety I think a couple years earlier as well with before I fully admitted to myself how much depression clinical depression had shaped me Um, but then I once I started to feel the lightness come back I realized that It's just a different way of being, and I'm not alone. Uh, But I think people who deal with depression are often very isolated from each other, and there's such stigma about being, you know, having mental illness or you know Mm -hmm. feeling mentally unwell, Mm -hmm. and um, that it's a character defect. Yes, as versus uh, a way of being. Or, you know, and again, so I say, nurture nature, right? Like, um, I, I think because it's it's just a way of being in the world. But I, I think it's something that people are afraid of, and um, because it's viewed as weakness. Oh, uh, we're often really marginalized, and who wants to be weak, right? Who yeah. wants to feel like they're a weak, defective, idiot, right? Right. Yeah. And and so it becomes this hidden uh I guess some people would view it as a disability right mm-hmm. I, I I feel at times it is disabling in my life and when I'm well and things are going well uh it's very different you know I've just had to learn how to recognize and understand myself and what to do if I'm in a depression and at times when I need professional help.
0: How do you recognize what you need to do when you're in a depression?
1: Well, I guess it depends on the severity of the depression. Okay. Um, so the last time I had a major, major depressive episode, I didn't know I was depressed. I thought that I was at a stage in life where I had tried a lot of things and, you know, I I have children, I'm the sandwich generation, uh, so there's a lot of elderly people and I work and... Um, you know, my husband and I are just constantly spinning plates and it's really busy. And I had a couple of things happen in my life externally that triggered me feeling discouraged, which led into this spiral. And I got to this place where I felt like I was at the end of the road and that I'd had lots of experiences, but um, that I... Uh, uh, things were so difficult, and I was causing the people around me to feel really bad. That that's how I felt, and if they knew to the extent of how badly I felt, and I had trouble getting up in the morning, and I felt like very sluggish and very discouraged and without hope. But I kept thinking that that was because I was finally realizing that I I was an idiot. <laughs> was like right, yeah. I was finally, and um. And I just felt such despair and discouragement and, you know, I felt old beyond my years and um, like I was just a drain. And I didn't really know that. And it was actually, you know, I, I, I see a psychiatrist and she was the one who said, can you see that you're in a major depression? And I thought no. <laughs>
0: right? Like in my head, I'm like, <laughs> oh my
1: God, all right.
0: Sure. <laughs> it's like you think whatever you want to think. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I know.
1: yeah. And I, I, I really, and I look back and that was a really serious depression, right? Like that was borderline probably hospitalization. And, um, but I really trusted her after having been in her care for many years. And I think, As I I realized after having a lot of tools in my toolbox, I'd learned a lot of things and I had a therapist I really trusted, very supportive husband, really supportive family. So I was then uh, able to um, trust her that uh, maybe what she was telling me was true, but I couldn't see it. And so she sort of did an intervention for me and everything turned around then. So... Yeah, and at that point was the first time I ever used medication, and I had always been terrified of that because of um my dad's experiences, and I I was very resistant to any sort of pharmacology. And um and it was really helpful, you know. It took me from shades of gray into black back into shades of gray. And then I was able to do a lot of things uh that helped me more naturally feel better and then start to step out and the gray became lighter I'm sure as you know right like yeah. when you have and it's so hard to explain or someone goes why can't you be more positive positive?" and you don't know
0: yeah okay? yes yes and you want to be able to answer them and yeah. but you're kind of like but well, what, what do you do with that voice that's there that's telling me all these other things and like yeah. or the that block that's there that's mm-hmm. that I just can't get past
1: yeah and that fear of being judged which is why oh. can't why can't I be more positive um yeah. or if you know when people I think are often don't understand depression and they're frustrated mm-hmm. and they think why can't you just pull it together right yeah um, just get over it yeah just get over it um and not I think when you're down in that dark right that dark pit it, you can't sometimes yeah and it's very hard for people who have never been there to understand or people say oh you have a great life why are you depressed and my depressions are always triggered by externals I don't just suddenly get really depressed for me it's in response okay and I remember having mild postpartum depression
0: mm-hmm.
1: body it wasn't severe but I was already so familiar with the realm of depression <laughs> that I, I recognized. It's a mild depression I recognize. Severe depression I don't, right? I tend to just think, revert back to a lot of dark negative thinking. So anyway, but things are, I mean, it's really feels amazing now. Yeah. To have this sort of hard-earned insight and to really feel a lot more caring towards myself And looking a lot at the early childhood or, you know, my sort of coming of age time of what it is to be a woman and feeling so many limitations and feeling angry with myself for not being able to accept them and being really socialized to think like that, like there's something wrong if this isn't enough. And then um, probably it's because you're not enough. And so it's really fantastic to be on the other side, right? And it's almost like, you know, you go to the gym or you take up yoga if your body isn't feeling good. Mm -hmm. And if you're depressed or you really struggle with disabling, you know, debilitating anxiety, it should also be okay then to... Do the things that are like a workout for your mind or self-care for the (laughs) the spirit, right? Yeah. And when we, again, live in a world where mental health, mental illness are so stigmatized, uh, we don't take the same care or the, I don't know about you, but like the shame of admitting it or talking Mm -hmm. to someone who's never been depressed, right? Who thinks, oh, you're flawed somehow.
0: Yes. Yes. Um, I've I've had experiences where I have tried to just be open and, and talk with someone about my personal experience with depression and anxiety and um and I've I've had like that reaction where they just kind of like look at you like I've uh, you know, the wide eyes and like it's just kind of like, What's wrong with you? Like Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, know, I know and you're like I don't know yeah, like, I uh, fix it. Yeah. <laughs> I would. I wanna be happy. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, and and then – yeah, and, like, that's definitely sent me reeling mm-hmm. because then, like, I – like, I remember there was just, like, this one specific um, encounter that I had with someone who used Christianity um, um, as a way to kind of shame me because I grew up very religious and mm-hmm. – um, was really in the, in the church and that kind of thing. And it was basically like, you have a lack of faith and that's why you're struggling with this. And it's just like, like why, like you need to just ask God and like really believe that he's going to help you and then you'll be fine. Like kind of like, so Mm -hmm. it was just like, it's because it was because I wasn't praying the right way. I didn't have enough faith Mm -hmm. and it sent me reeling for a while because it was again, like, um, yeah, like right. That's right. Yeah. Cause God can fix things. But then it's just kind of like, eventually I remembered again, like, no, like you sure. Like if, if that's what you believe. And if you do believe that God fixes things, like you, like he created like a world that has things in it that can fix mm-hmm. things. Like, do you really expect that, uh, you could just lay on your couch and be like, God fixed this. And mm-hmm. he's going to be like, okay. Like, I think mm-hmm. that he created us. I mean, and I know that everybody has like a different opinion on, mm-hmm. on, whether or not God is, as Christians understand him or whether mm-hmm. or not he's real. And, um, and I have respect for, for those, for those beliefs as well. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I, I don't think any of us are idiots. We're all just trying to figure things mm-hmm. out. Right. And so when I was trying to kind of work through it, um, I was just thinking like, well, okay, look, if I believe that God did, ex- does exist. And if I believe that God can create like, can help me, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: like, I'll, like, okay, but I obviously I'm going to need to readjust the way that I think he helps me, Mm -hmm. you know? And then it was just kind of like, you know, like, I'm trying to think of what exactly I'm trying to say. It's just kind Mm -hmm. of like, um, it places, it placed me anyway, in the situation where I became the victim Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and instead I would rather be the person that can go out and figure it out. Mm -hmm. And look at what I have available. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And so so I'm on medication. Mm -hmm. And that was that was offensive to that person that I spoke to about it. And I didn't go off of it because of that conversation. Mm -hmm. And I'm not planning on going off of it anytime Mm -hmm. soon. And I that's because that's what I believe to be best for me. Right. And I feel very proud of the fact that there's something out there that I can take and it helps me feel like more like myself. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm going to do. And if other people don't agree with that, like that's that's mm-hmm. their opinion, but it doesn't have to affect my opinion and I, mm-hmm. I don't need to feel bad about that. But it's something that I still will feel bad about it. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm i definitely, um, like I've grown and I, mm-hmm. I've gotten better at, the, uh, I guess maybe developing that resilience. Yeah. But, you know, every now and then it can still kind of strike you, especially if it comes yeah. from certain people.
1: Yes. Yeah. And be, I think it gives us a message that we're not enough, right? Again, back to that. Yeah. Like we're broken. And if you only had a stronger faith. And then it, the next conclusion is, and because I don't, I'm being punished. And then it creates this idea, you know, if you believe in God or higher power, right? Like have spiritual beliefs that that's a it's a punishing force. Yeah. And as a, and that we're somehow born broken as opposed to we're enough, right? Yeah. We are enough just as we are right now in life as an evolving, growing process and you know, like in Japanese society, the belief that there's beauty out of what's broken and yeah. that scars shouldn't be hidden that they become a part of the history. And if something is mended back together, it takes on a new shape, but you can see where it came from. And we don't live in that sort of society. Like I was raised, I think it's changing and we can seek out that intentional society. Mm-hmm. But I sort of was raised with the belief that if you made a bad choice, right, then you're in that bed of nails, right? You made your bed. And you're like, well, can I get out of it? Nope.
0: <laughs> You're gonna
1: suffer, and if you suffer enough, then God will give you relief in the afterlife. And like, oh my God, oh, oh my God, like I'm bleeding. And he's like, well, that's too bad. You should have picked a different bed. <laughs> it's just, like just the end of the road. And I felt like that at a very young age, right? Just like I was dragging every bad choice and every poor decision behind me, and no mercy or kindness for myself. And I think that's often. If you have depression and or anxiety or any sort of mental health, mental illness, struggle, and whether it's lifelong or whether it's something that's in reaction to maybe something traumatic happened when you were like 20, right? And Mm. um, I think, again, it's this idea that it's weakness, and um, mm-hmm. and that if we could just fix it, everything would be okay as opposed to we are okay and it's okay to ask for help. Yes. And um, learning to protect ourselves, to know who to talk about, who's supportive and who isn't. And I think there's a huge amount of fear generally in society and people are afraid of feeling sad and people are afraid of loss and people are terrified of grief. And often then people will lash out or react against with anger when they see people who are mirroring back what is their deep fear inside. Not that I feel we need to like accommodate that, right? I wish everyone well on their journey. But I've become a lot more selective about whom I, I spend my time with. And I and I have so little time, right? I have a very busy life with work and with three children and my husband and we have a blended family. My husband's first wife died of breast cancer when their kids were two and five. And so they don't really they don't remember her and I'm their second mom, right? And her family are all here and they're magnificent. And so I have a lot of in laws. (laughs) <laughs> and my husband's, in, and mm-hmm. so there's all, we have a really big, unusual, hybrid sort of family. Yeah, and okay. we're the sandwich generation, and we're both self-employed. My husband publishes graphic novels, and I'm a, you know, a fiction writer. Yeah. And so we have very limited time. And so I try to be very, very careful about who who I spend time with. And I feel at this stage in my life, I really want to support people who are resilient. And the massive courage I think it takes to say, yeah, sometimes I go really low and I don't know why and I don't know what to do and I've needed help, right? And that is awesome. It's amazing as opposed to, oh, well, that's just your bed of nails. <laughs> that's your past, right?
0: Yeah, that's the yeah, that's the thing that you did to yourself and now you're mm-hmm. paying the price and mm-hmm. don't you dare complain. And
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh. So... You know, it's learning to really, I think, reframe a lot of things that we were taught. And again, in society, there's a lot of fear. There's lots of bad things that are happening. And I, I think it, 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 it's we often interpret it, especially in a more patriarchal society, as if you're emotional or if you have moments of sadness or despair, that that somehow again means you're broken and that's bad, right?
0: Yeah. As, it's like, it's like you can't handle yourself kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's very different to learn to know who you are and how you are and recognize signs. And I can recognize when I'm mildly depressed yeah. and I know now things that I need to do to take care of myself and uh, to respect myself, and um, so I can restore myself and prevent prevent now often going down into that spiral, right, where I feel like I'm standing at the edge of this pit of despair. And I used to always see that pit in the distance. It was always in my the periphery, and it would come closer and closer. And at this stage for me now, right, it's it's not on my horizon. And when I do spot it, there are lots of, I again, you know, tools in my toolbox or in my artist's bag. <laughs> this, you know, paints Ooh. and uh, paintbrushes and I all these things I can do to um, help restore, right? And, yeah. And soothe myself and just what you do if you, you know, if you have a... I, it's not exactly the same, right? Like if you have a virus, right? You need to take the day off and lie down. But I mean, in some ways, it's not that different, right? If you're overwhelmed and it's too much and feeling, right, the again, the sympathetic sympathetic nervous system is like, run! Like, yes, oh, that's not a good sign. <laughs> Maybe I'll just uh, go for a walk in the woods. <laughs> right? And I never would have thought that when I was younger. I would have thought, I like I would move. I would leave. I'd quit a job. I... I anything mm. to try to escape right how I felt so yes
0: with you. <laughs> it does it really does mm-hmm. yes it's because I I like that you mentioned that that we do have like that fear of like not feeling okay you know like oh I don't feel okay and like mm-hmm. and therefore everything is bad and things are really wrong and I need to act now and change something mm-hmm. instead of taking that minute to like sit with it mm-hmm. and Try yeah. to understand, you know, and just take a minute for yourself. And mm-hmm. I actually, I want to, I was wondering what kinds of things you use, like what tools you use or, or artistic pieces you use <laughs> to, uh, to restore yourself, to take care of yourself that way.
1: Well, I mean, and it's a real challenge when you have people you look after that you're, Yes. you know. Legally responsible for. Yeah. <laughs> and so you can't just say, oh, yeah, right. Well, drive yourself there. And they're like, but I can't drive, right? <laughs> like, uh, you made right. a commitment to, or, you know. Um, uh, so it's finding the time, first of all, for ourselves and honoring that and showing up for ourselves in the way we would for a friend or someone we love. And it's so easy to not show up for yourself when you, you know, meditation, Mm. which I, and I'm interested too in self-hypnosis and trance state, which is a little bit different than meditation. Okay. You know, just like a deeper state of focus, but very relaxing and really being present in your body and sort of transcending the mind, right? Because the mind can say, what are you, what are you doing relaxing? The world's really good. (laughs) having a cup of tea (laughs) and that that's that over that 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 self-protective self so I find to soothe that part of myself um meditation walks in the woods beautiful surroundings at home which can be really simple right like not having things that are cluttered um eating well uh staying hydrated
0: that's what I always say stay hydrated stay (laughs) hydrated it's Uh, so underrated staying hydrated I mean it talked about a lot but it's still people are like oh yeah but if I drink more water I'm gonna have to pee in the middle of doing this thing and it's just kind of like well you know just take that minute yeah yeah (laughs) exactly like it's okay not
1: walking around like I find and once you have kids right you're walking around holding your pee all all the time time, (laughs) yeah and so I think motherhood is very humbling when you think I don't even have time to pee (laughs) Yes, (laughs) when you can start to reclaim that time, yeah, so great, yeah, yeah, Yeah. or you know, have a shower. Oh, Oh, my goodness, yeah, yeah.
0: I'm just finally starting to get back to the stage where I can use the washroom and there isn't a kid knocking at the door or like wanting to just be with me and like sit on my lap, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so funny, yeah. I have a cat
1: now who will come in the door, and I'm like. I'll never be alone. right? <laughs> I'll he's never like, have
0: Nya. it. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> so the kids don't come in anymore. But yeah, like,
0: "Yeah, feed me."
1: Yeah, like just I, I find, um, and I've started doing yoga again, and that's really helpful. And I think it's really helpful too when you don't like how you feel and you invest a lot of time in trying to run away for yourself, and yoga um, really puts you back in your body. So you can be there,
0: with mm. the good, the
1: bad, the ugly, and the beautiful, right? Like, um, yeah, I I've been doing a, at home yoga with um, yoga with Adrian and she says, you know, meet yourself where you are and where your body is, and and just being there and not judging it and thinking, oh, this arm is stiff stupid arm right it's just that arm is
0: a little stuff right let's see if
1: we can give it a little love and get it moving because that's so much more productive in in moving forward and i i really believe that i mean so much is a state of mind and our self-talk and Mm. when i catch that i hear that voice in my head that goes the reason this isn't working is there's something wrong with you right yeah i catching that going wait a minute (laughs)
0: I love that. Yeah.
1: Right. And then stopping that tape that's mm-hmm. playing,
0: and it and it's such a worn out, worn out tape.
1: Yeah, it really is. It's just so old, right? It's just yeah. like so monosyllabic, right? Like just like <laughs> again, you're not enough. You're it's just like <laughs> after all these years, can't you come up with anything more creative
0: to insult <laughs> me with, right? Like,
1: yeah. So what what do you do? What kinds of
0: what kinds of things? Yeah. Um meditating is actually one thing that I do. Mm-hmm. Um I'm in therapy, so uh-huh. I have I actually use uh the Tranquility app. Um mm-hmm. it, uh, yeah, it just started and I have a coach with that. So I will mm-hmm. talk with him about once a week and uh-huh. go through the sessions and and that's really helpful. Um exercise is a huge one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Getting outside and just spending a bit of time just enjoying nature um i have a i have a therapy dog well like an emotional support dog his name is picard and so he's awesome because i find that um he's really good at grounding me it's Mm -hmm. like if i'm kind of feeling that like everything's starting to kind of just be too much be too much and it's spinning Mm -hmm. a little bit if i just even look at him Mm -hmm. it's just kind of like you watch that it's like he's like this constant example of what it is to be at ease and rested and And he's really good at kind of picking up on the mood and being Mm -hmm. able to just kind of come up and curl up on your lap and just like petting him. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that uh, what it's petting, petting like an animal, like a pet releases something in your brain that actually Mm -hmm. helps you feel better. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's amazing. And and then when I am able to uh, when it's an option, I like to go to the spa and like, mm-hmm. I like to have like facial treatments mm-hmm. or um, getting my hair done, um, things like that. But, you know, finding the money in the budget can be sometimes a little tricky mm-hmm. with that. And so, yeah, it's trying to find those other things to do. Oh, having a bath. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. that's nice. Or um, we actually have a hot tub and my husband mm-hmm. and I will go out and sit in that, in that and just like talk and look up at the stars or things like that. Mm-hmm. And that's really nice. I like... I like learning new things like and I just basically try to keep this like list of things that I know I just really enjoy doing mm-hmm. and that I know just like really relax me. Yes. And then like and then I try to just consistently do them so that I don't get to that like emergency state mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, my goodness, it's it's all too much. And I just need something right now to help mm-hmm. me calm down. And it's like um, those little things that I could do aren't enough. Like when I get to mm-hmm. the point where that's not enough and then it's kind of like I need something major to really help me reset Mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. So I got to that point, um, two weeks ago where I was like, I need something major to help me reset right now. (laughs) And, uh, and luckily I was able to go in and and have a little facial done. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing. Like it was like all of a sudden everything just kind of like melted away. And, um, and I fell asleep. I don't usually fall asleep in front of people, Mm -hmm. but I actually fell asleep. My, uh, my friend Megan, she's the one that does the facials. And she was mm-hmm. like, yeah, you, you, you twitched <laughs> when I wow, was like doing it. Cause I was just like so, so relaxed and it was yeah. huge. Like it really helped me yeah. recharge. Well, it's like therapeutic touch, right? Like it's, yeah.
1: You know, oh yeah. It's, it's, it's different than with your partner or your kids, right? It's the same like um, massage or reflexology or having a facial. Um, and I find like with, I mean, my cats aren't like, you know, technically therapeutic felines, but they've <laughs> but, always functioned like that. Yeah. And they've always been there. And in the, the lowest times, you know, I felt like they never, they never criticized me when I was full of despair. Right. Like, and yeah. it is, it's clinically, I remember my vet was talking about the impact of just touching a cat. Right. And it does change your biochemistry. I mean, as long as the cat's not trying to rip your eyes, <laughs> right? Right. right. Like, that's what's wrong with a cat, right? <laughs> it's just like, but uh, these cats are really super loving, and yeah. Uh, yeah, and and it's it's conditional in the way that you know a cat will want food, but they're just so. These are cats that you can pick up, and they're snuggly, mm. and yeah, yeah, it's it's super soothing, and I think knowing those things, and again really taking ownership of them and thinking these are the things that work for me Mm -hmm. I'm not judging them yes because that's yeah
0: that's I did that like um big time with the facials Mm -hmm. like I cut my off myself off from them for (laughs) a year Uh because I was like that's just too much I'm so Mm -hmm. high maintenance and then um when I was able to get in last week and have one I was so much more productive afterwards Uh and it was kind of like oh right like no I'm investing in myself I'm, I'm yeah. helping prepare myself for uh-huh. for getting really important things done mm-hmm. and it makes me a better person it makes me a better mom mm-hmm. like it's all that yeah. stuff and yeah. yeah so I still like I'll still kind of be like oh so. like and I have like that idea but I'm working through it.
1: Well, I think that means, and a lot of it is cultural. I, at one point, lived in Korea and I taught English. Oh, and cool. I used to go to the
0: bathhouse
1: because that's what everybody did. And you would go in and there would be a side for women and a side for men and you go in and all the North Americans wouldn't want to you know they're like oh my god how have to wear a bathing suit and it looked hilarious right because there's all these Korean women who are just here because I think historically it started because of access to hot water and so it's like it's and it was like a spa to me and the one I went to was just a pretty basic one but it was spectacular and beautiful and clean and you go in and there's a hot pool and there's a like a cold plunging pool and then there's another pool and there's a wet sauna and then there's someone there who does massage and facials and all of these different things and it was just normal and I thought it and on all this hot water and it was so warm and absolutely spectacular and it was just a cultural norm there and um yeah and I thought it was so interesting because and and there are all these rituals and like uh, processes for getting clean and It really changed forever how I felt about self-care and taking that time. And there was a very social aspect to it as well. And people, their little children would be there as well. And then back to like puritanical Nova Scotia,
0: right? (laughs) And it was so
1: funny. And so I began to realize that you know, sitting in a hot tub is was really therapeutic and really beneficial and there it was I think uh, the prices are regulated so they're really accessible.
0: That's and so
1: cool. here, you know, it would be cold dunk in the in the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> the Annapolis Valley sort of like, you know, different version. And we have a hot tub now too. Mm. And we have this backyard that looks out over the pond and it's it's really oh, that's Yeah. And I try to take time again to be intentional. And when I read about, you know, people, we make jokes about, you know, forest bathing, because I think you become conscious and use those terms when it's not a part of your everyday existence. And for me, there's a forest 20 feet from the house. And so I can, I I understand that term now, even though, you know, like I'm a hillbilly country person, but (laughs) I understand that idea of bathing in nature and soaking it up. And Maybe that doesn't work for everybody, though. And again, it's knowing what works for you,
0: yeah, and
1: what makes you feel good, and what comforts you, and self soothing, and and yeah. those those sorts of things. Like I I often um when I work with with people. Uh, It's usually with writers, but sometimes addressing why it's difficult to write or finding time to write or what, how do you write if you're depressed? Because it's often hard to write when you're feeling really depressed and really self-critical and um, basic things like, you know, having coffee out of a coffee cup you love or a teacup or getting rid of all those, you know, dishes that you don't want. I mean, how many plates do you need, right? And if you have antique dishes and you love them, then eat off of them. Or just simple things, really simple things like having a beautiful plant. There are lots of things we can do that create an environment in in which we we feel safe and comfortable and understanding what that is for each of us and that it might be different Mm. and really respecting that. And it can be so difficult to do that. But just, oh, it's I don't have time to light a candle. Light the freaking candle, <laughs> right? Light the candle. <laughs> right? Keep matches by it. Light that uh, candle. Yeah. And even if you can only be there for five minutes, again, it's like showing up for yourself. And when I teach creative writing, that's what I'll say is, let's say you only can set aside 15 minutes every day. It's just 10 minutes. And um, show up. And if you can't write, just show up just be there and honor that time because again if you told a friend you would show up you would do it or you know and I think it's the same thing if if you know you have something stressful going on when you come home do you know show up for yourself and light that candle even if it's only for five minutes or if you have a diffuser and you know you have a lavender essential oil that you like or a tea that you like or a type of coffee um it's, it's quality versus quantity, you know, and, yeah. and, but you have to do it, right? And that's the hard part. And I think, I don't know if you can relate, but when I'm having a lot of trouble doing it, that's a red flag for me. Yes. That I'm moving into difficult, you know, terrain and having that insight and understanding. I mean, when I was younger, I really didn't. I was like a wild and crazy person. And I had a hospitalization when I stopped talking for a period of time, right? Like I look back and I had such a lack of compassion for myself when I was so unwell. And I, I'll i never forget the, you know, like my 20s were a really challenging time. And so were my teen years. And I try to Bring that sense of nurture, self-nurturing to to myself, and I think you know when we have kids, it's pretty easy to not give that, leave anything for yourself.
0: Yeah, and yeah. It, because it, because for me, like it, like it feels selfish, and you have this thought of if I can do this extra thing, it shouldn't be for me; it mm-hmm. should be for, be for this other person.
1: Yeah. So again, I'm not enough. I'm not yeah. worthy. As opposed to, I am worthy, and I'm going to make space for myself, and I'm going to take up space. Yes. <laughs> and that's great, right? I'm going to flourish, and and that will create goodness oh, yes. in every area of my life, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I think the small things, especially when you have to work, right? And the more resources you have, the easier it all is. And I think the more barriers that you have, um, the more difficult it is. And sometimes, I mean, I know for me in my worst times, when I did things like light that candle, uh, have tea in a teacup my grandma gave me that was beautiful and full of wonderful memories, and tossing out the teacups, or the coffee cups I brought back, horrible memories, right? (laughs) Yes! (laughs) Again, really curating your environment so it's full of things that you love and reflect back the beauty and what you value in, in your life and what, what you want to see more of. So the things that are in our day to day lives almost become they're symbolic, right? And not having things that remind us of the past or yeah, yeah not having a bed with nails. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, look, there's a bed with nails, right? Like, yeah. So um, Oh yeah. yeah so it doesn't have to be that, you know like i would love to go to a spa <laughs> i'd like to fly you know to like a week long spa oh. and sometimes the best you can do is to have a nice hand cream um or you know you know what i mean yeah yeah, yeah. and in, and that can be where you start from um and then moving moving out right the whole idea of self care is is such a different terrain for all of us right knowing what makes us feel cared for and and i think loving people and and in a in a healthy positive way and having good boundaries and being able to have really good communication in our you know in our with our our close personal relationships all of that is is a way of really supporting ourselves Do do you think
0: i would absolutely agree I love the way that you word things it's, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's nice. It's refreshing because, it, you know, when you hear the same thing in the same way, it mm-hmm. can lose its effectiveness. And then you come in and you explain the same, perhaps the same idea, but in a, in a new way. And it makes it, helps you see it from a different angle and appreciate it again. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I like that.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you.
0: And I also want to say um, I should probably pay attention to the time here yeah so we have about five minutes left okay but I wanted to say um, I was able to read I so far I've been able to read one of your short stories mm-hmm. um, from watermarks yeah um, and I opened up the book and I looked through the titles mm-hmm. which by the way love the titles and one that stood off the page to me was back fat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and so I I went to it and I started reading it and I was enthralled. You're a very good writer. Oh, thank I, you. Yeah, Thanks. I really enjoy your writing. I really enjoy your writing. And I've been recommending your book to everyone that I've talked to because I think that it had such a an honest way of talking about the story and it seemed um, kind of more realistic mm-hmm. in the way that it was in the way that it was told, it was realistic in a way that made it so that your mind didn't shut off while you were reading it to mm-hmm. like, there's a certain part of your mind, you know, when you're reading f- uh, fiction, that's mm-hmm. like clear, like fiction, like this isn't going to happen in this world, that mm-hmm. you turn that part of it off, because you're not thinking about how you're going to apply this necessarily to your life.
1: Right.
0: But I found that with your story, or with the story that I was able to read, it was a way that it was real enough that that part of my brain that was thinking about how can I learn from this and apply it to my life and learn about my life by, by reading through this, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: it stayed engaged Mm -hmm. because it made it, uh, it, because it it was just, is was written in a way that I was just thinking like, I I mean, even right down to the title of the story, I struggle with thinking I have back fat. (laughs) 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 Right? And yeah. like, and I love the way how mm-hmm. it just like that that word, like, the words back fat would just kind of pop up throughout the throughout the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, like when she was taking the bath, and then mm-hmm. she could feel her back fat pressing against the bottom of the tub. Yeah. And I was just thinking, I've had baths where I could feel my back fat pressing know. against the tub. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, and yeah. it's so. It was just so well written in such a way that I could just everything that was being said, I was just relating to. Mm -hmm. And even I loved how you went into the details of her family life and the way that she felt by her, her father and her brothers and how um, it was this, this feeling of having to put on a different person, Mm -hmm. put on a different self in order to survive in their world, which was like at Mm -hmm. that time, it was just her only option. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I relate to, man, I relate to that too.
1: Well, I mean, most of the stories deal with women of different ages trying to, I think, feel comfortable in their own skin and some, like the first story where the daughter is coming home and she's an alcoholic and the mother is full of rage and anger. And I think like just a lifelong, uh, depression, but doesn't know it. And, um, Every every story I think has characters dealing with, uh, you know, out of control emotions or a world that is trying to define them and they don't know who they are and. Um, there's lots of humor in the stories as well, yes. right? But there's a lot of yeah. darkness. But Backpat is, I think, particularly uh, funny where, I mean, she hides in her body, but it views it as this like deformed vessel. But by the end of the story, she's the captain of her ship, of right? Of her ship, Yeah, yes. and so I think all the stories, the characters are ultimately triumphant. Um,
0: I, and I you know. loved that too, the the silent triumph the silent triumph that she had walking away at the end of that mm-hmm. story. And it was just like she claimed herself. Yeah. Oh, oh, I loved it. It was, yeah. <laughs> no, it's great. It, it was, was so, so wonderful. powerful. Oh, I loved it. That's, I mean. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to reading more of the stories. And I, I wanted to ask you a couple things. So when you were talking about how you fictionalized your life,
1: mm-hmm.
0: so then is there a part of your life that's reflected in each short story that you've written?
1: Well, I mean, I think now, you know, when we were talking about different ways that we look after ourselves or, or you know, different therapeutic approaches to understanding who we are and dealing with depression and anxiety, making sense of the past, right, and like a therapy.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: in some ways with writing, I'm able to step back and look at at a story so it's fictional and it's characters but it's drawing on experiences I've had or experiences I've seen other people have or often it's a case an experience I've had that I see other people have had too so it's a universal experience so I put characters oh. in a situation and see what happens and so there's sure there's elements of autobiography and some of my stories are more like auto bio right auto auto fiction okay than than others and there's a lot of things in back fat that did happen to me, but the character ultimately is a fictional character i made up who's far more interesting than i am <laughs> <laughs> but i mean i did live out west and i did spend time on a sailboat and i did grow up on the north mountain and stuff and okay you know, i can chop wood with an axe but um um that's I've, so cool yeah but i, I mean it is a, a fiction and i find that there's a distance and a safety in that so um you know, I'm I'm considering, I'm starting to work on a memoir, and that is very different than being able to step back and create a fictional world because there is a distance, and uh, in in fiction, because it's not memoir, right? And you can put characters in situations, or when the characters are real enough, they, for me, show me the story in the world, and sometimes things happen to them that uh, it's the thing that you fear the most, but it happens in your story. And then you see what happens on the other side because there's lots of horrible things that happen in life, right? Mm-hmm. Like everyone eventually is going to die. But but then there's something after. I mean, I recently had a friend die and I went to visit her. I didn't realize I was in Toronto. I flew in and I went to see her in ICU and I didn't realize like when I got there that this was it and I it wasn't like a last visit it was at her, at her deathbed
0: oh my gosh! and it
1: was really this is pretty recent in the last month and her son was 21 and there was just a few of us there and it was a, so devastating and unexpected but after I you know what's happened after is she has this unbelievable kid who's 21 he's magnificent human being and his brother and sister-in-law flew in her brother and sister flew in from Toronto and there's this massive community of friends and people and his brother is a cop in Toronto and he spoke at her celebration of life and I wouldn't have known that in that moment where I was like wow she's gonna die and 20 minutes later she did and but there's all this love that came after you know and it's so because um she was so sick and yet life has gone on and she lives on in her son and everyone she ever touched and uh I'm glad that I know that and it's really I think it's helping everyone who knew her navigate the you know that big river of grief because she was just such an extraordinary person so there's a lot of sadness but at the same time there's so much love and joy and out of her death has come this sense of really living well and really treasuring life and it's so precious and the only thing we have is this moment in time right now and that's everything right because we don't know what's coming next and uh, And so in my stories, it's, I can see often when bad things happen, that there's still something that comes after that is unexpected and beautiful.
0: Oh, Oh, that was...
1: (laughs) I'm talking so much.
0: (laughs) No, I love it. Honestly, I wish I would have heard that shortly after my grandmother had died. I got to be Mm. with her when she passed, too. it's yeah like i'm I mean it's gonna be four years ago uh this April tenth, mm-hmm. and I mean like you still like think mm-hmm. like I still dream have dreams about her and wake mm-hmm. up thinking that she's still alive and
1: because
0: mm-hmm. she was so significant in my life yeah. so
1: yeah, it's I mean there's nothing more profound than birth and mm-hmm. death, right and, yeah uh, it, really humbling right moments that bring you to your knees and you yes. realize just the fragility but yet the durability of of life you yeah know? yeah so it's just trying to come to terms with how those two things exist at the same time yeah it <laughs> can be hard when you struggle I find like with anxiety you're like no it can't be two things at the same time <laughs> Yes. Yeah. That's a it's a contradiction. Yeah, it does right. yeah. yeah. It's like I need to know. But yeah. you can't know. I know, but if I need I need
0: right. yeah, it's like it's I know like, I can't know,
1: but if I could know then I'd be okay. Yeah, yeah. It's like the the mind is this mink in a cage, right? Yes. And then if it gets out, it's like oh, You know, and then you feel like, oh, I'm crazy. I'm crazy. Yes. Um, Oh, yeah. And then understanding, I mean, how, again, right, crippling that level of anxiety can be. And how someone externally can think wow that person's crazy or that person's you know and then you feel so bad but it's so I think it's such a gift that we can be here together talking about this and view these things as normal and difficult at times to manage and um you know and and hard but it's like such a gift that's why I love your podcast so much to hear all of this as just regular conversation as opposed to things that you don't want anyone to know about because they'll judge you right yeah. Yeah. and uh, so it, it feels like just a, a, a huge treat to have a conversation where we can laugh about a, a lot of this and you yeah. know swap ideas about what do you do when you're feeling really blue and you don't know how to get on top of it and it, it it's just uh feels really um renewing to me to have a newer perspective and I think you're so brave to have this podcast and again I find it that kind of millennial um courage (laughs) that Gen Xers right no one even knows I listen to this like you know baby boomers at war with millennials and it's like no one even remembers the Gen Xers (laughs) in the middle right because we're all like the first latchkey kids and the, the first right like we could none of us could get jobs or mortgages and, and we're all like middle aged by the time we get that stuff and now we have millennials who are going what? is so expensive. That's wrong, right? (laughs) And we we felt like that, but we would never have said that, right? This crippling fear. And so I just think it's so great to be able to talk to you about all of this. It makes me it feels like these are tools in my toolbox, right? Remembering this conversation on days that are hard and it's it's like a big sparkly sunshine experience.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much. Well like I feel honored that you took the time out of your schedule to come to come from the valley and and talk with me on this podcast and I really value the input that you had. um the wisdom is just I mean you can tell that you've had this firsthand experience that you've worked through and then the fact that you are willing to offer what you've learned to me and to the like our listeners is just like I feel really honored and thank you
1: oh look thank you it's uh it's a total pleasure and I think you're, you know, you're a force of nature inspiring people and keep, keep doing this. And um, if you want to do a giveaway for your listeners, I, I have a, a book, Oh, and, really? Yes, and a signature soap called um, Watermark, which was made by uh, a woman who was a soapree out in the, on the South Mountain, and she read the stories and had a, kept a scent journal of her experience of the fragrance of the world of the book. So she did this Bay Funde saltwater Watermark soap that smells like a garden on the edge of the sea. So, yeah, if you want to figure out uh, how to have some kind of,
0: yes, yeah, yeah absolutely soap,
1: and hopefully that will inspire
0: yes. <laughs> someone. Oh, okay. so everyone, you hear that? Keep Stay tuned um, because we'll be working out the details of that. I would love that. Thank okay. you. That's great. Oh, that's yeah. great. Okay, so okay. Um, thank you. And to everyone listening, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. And just know that wherever you are, we're sitting here loving you. Have a great morning, evening, afternoon, night, and we'll be talking to you soon. Bye.